0: All right, another Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders in the studio with Greg Pickle, as always. We're going to talk about Shaka Tony returning, whether that's a surprise. We're going to talk about Penn State's new assistant coach on the offensive side, Greg. We're going to talk about the Senior Bowl. Cam Brown and Robert Windsor are down there, but Penn State could have had more players down there. Uh, And we're going to conclude with the Penn State Mailbag. Greg. Shock Tony. Everyone in this day of social media, putting out announcements whether they're leaving, whether they're staying. Mm-hmm. Shaka Tony, Penn State's talented fourth-year defensive end. He didn't say anything. Right, the deadline for the underclassmen to declare for the 2020 NFL draft, at the very latest was Monday. It was it was, just, it was a little convoluted. I we thought yes. it, for one time we thought it was Friday. Yep. It was actually Monday. The deadline's gone. Penn State's got two underclassmen who should go very high in Etor Gross Matos and KJ Hamler but I really thought I thought Chacotone was out the door after a pretty good fourth year at Penn State it turns out he didn't say anything but I believe he's back unless there's going to be some transfer portal news or you never know with him but he's been a quiet kid so maybe we shouldn't be surprised that he really said nothing but we're assuming he's going to be the leader of the defensive end group in 2020. Yeah, there's no doubt about
1: it, Bob. He's always been one of those guys that teammates says he talks a lot amongst them. But when it comes to social media and media interviews, he doesn't really – I don't know if he doesn't like the spotlight or if he's just a quiet kid who doesn't have you know – doesn't say a whole lot. But, yeah, it was interesting. You can turn on the notifications for guys' tweets. So anytime I'd see Saka underscore Tony show up on my phone, I'd grab it real quick and see – If it was an update on his draft status, and more often than not, it was a retweet of something completely unrelated to football for the last month, so was not terribly upset to turn those off yesterday. But yeah, I mean, I think we both figured he would go. uh, At least from my perspective, I just didn't know. You know, he's a speed rusher who has at times struggled to keep weight on at the college level. What more will he gain by returning to school? Now, I think there this is a pretty good defensive end class, so maybe he just looks at it as. Next year could be better. Maybe he will have a bigger year. Of course, he's going to be the focal point, though, which wasn't the case this past year because Etor Gross Matos was. So be interesting the next time we get to talk to him to see what all went into that decision, maybe how close he was to leaving. But, Bob, you remember back on signing day, James Franklin said that there were some guys who had NFL grades but were deciding to stay and that they were expecting more guys to return than... Uh, Maybe what Mm -hmm. they had anticipated previously, and it certainly turned out that way.
0: Yeah, and if you really look at it, there were real, I think in the end, we could say there was, I guess, seven guys in play. When they consider who came back and who left, we mentioned Hamler, we mentioned Gross Matos, we mentioned Tony, who's back. But this really started right around the time of the All Big Ten selection show, and when the teams were announced, Etor Gross Matos immediately announced he was foregoing his last year of eligibility. Michael Menett, Penn State's talented center, who mm-hmm. was a redshirt junior in last fall, came out and said he was going to come back. Pat Fryermuth, Penn State's uber-talented tight end, who was only in his second year but because of uh, his prep development and he had, he had like an extra year, I think, and yep. on, on the prep level. He was actually eligible to leave for the draft, decided to stay. Will Fries, who I didn't really anticipate going, but also could have left. He decided to stay. And another starter, Tariq Castro-Fields, later after the bowl game, decided to stay rather than come out after kind of a little bit of, I thought, a fade at the stretch. So, really, seven guys, only two leave. I think it's – I'm very surprised the number wasn't higher.
1: Yeah, me too. And I guess you could probably have thrown Lamont Wade into that group as well. Even though, again, like Castro-Fields and like Fries, it was probably always very unlikely that he would leave. He still had to think about it, I'm sure. So – yeah, it's interesting, and then you move on to the the portal, which has been very quiet this off season so far. Hunter Kelly, backup offensive lineman, jumped in there, as did uh, you know Daniel Joseph reportedly earlier this week. Thing with Joseph was, I think he probably just looked at the depth chart and said Adisa Isaac and yeah. Jason Oway both played more than I did last year. They're both back. Shaka's back. Yeah, where are my snaps going to come from? So that one makes plenty of sense, and you know I. I assume he'll be the last end of transfer. Maybe not. But, you know, there's a couple of positions that when you look at how it all breaks down, you could see some guys maybe after spring practice saying, "Okay, I I didn't get the snaps I thought I was going to get or the coaches don't see me playing as much as I think I'm going to. So I do wonder if during and at the end of spring practice, we might see
0: some more guys end up leaving. Yeah, the transfer portal really is like a Vegas casino. It's always open. You just never know when someone's going to walk through that door. Justin Shorter obviously kickstarted Penn State's transfer portal, and still hasn't ended up anywhere. Yeah, uh, in the towards the end of the regular season, but yeah, he's still I guess examining his options. I'm,
1: I'm not. I'm just very confused by that, and we're probably a little bit off topic here. But how, how does a guy end up in the portal the week before the regular season ends, yeah. and then doesn't end up at a school for the start of the spring semester? Isn't that the whole point of going in that early? So, you know, the question came up, and we're going to talk about him in a minute. But could Taylor Stubblefield? possibly sway justin shorter back to penn state to me if a guy goes in the portal bob a week before the regular season ends there's more at play yeah. than his position coach and whether that change or even an offensive quarter coordinator change when it comes to kirk suraka there's more at play than than that so
0: i, I still can't envision him yeah. coming back greg it's a great segue you mentioned taylor stubblefield penn state's new wideouts coach replacing Jarrett parker who took the west virginia oc job Stubblefield was a very good college wideout. He's actually had a couple of stops, I think, on the coaching level. Uh, just a few, yeah, just a few. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to stay. He doesn't seem to stay anywhere very long. But uh, what's your early read on Stubblefield joining James Franklin's staff? What do you think his strength will be? Hopefully, it'll be getting them to catch passes rather than drop them.
1: Well, you know, I don't know if we can go too much further. I don't know if you saw it this morning, but he made his first recruiting stop in Texas to see Parker Washington, the four-star receiver signee yesterday. Which would have been Tuesday, and he was wearing a Miami belt buckle. So that has not gone over all that well. I, I'm hopeful that he'll make light of the situation here at some point. But uh, Penn State fans don't miss anything, Bob, and they did not miss that. So
0: that might might, might explain why he doesn't he doesn't stay in one place. Very yeah, long. right. Uh, I mean, so
1: yeah, guy's been pretty much all over the country over the course of his coaching career, which started in 2007. Illinois State and Air Force, the only places he's been for more than a year. Yeah. He's been in the CFL. I guess the one thing that jumps out at me is that, you know, Penn State's gone the recruiter route, I think, with Jared Parker, with uh, Josh Gaddis, and, you know, it's interesting now that they don't have a guy that's necessarily known as a renowned recruiter. I'm sure he's good at it. Most yeah. college coaches are. But he's more of a teacher, I think, and, it, and obviously he practiced what he's now preaching. And that's something I don't know if Penn State's necessarily had at this spot over the last few years. So, you know, I don't know. It's hard to analyze, I think, what he's been credited for over the course of his career just because he leaves so often. And, you know, I think it was easy to blame David Corley for some things when that year didn't go well. But, you know, you stop and think about it and how much of it was not being there long enough to make an impact versus – bad habits from before versus maybe he wasn't a good coach. We just don't know the answer to that. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think you can ever go wrong with having a consensus All-American on your staff and a guy that knows what he's talking about. But uh, at the same time, you know, this is a receivers yeah. group that now has to hear a second if not third message in as, in as many yeah. years depending
0: on how old the guy. are. Any chance we're overthinking this, and it could be as simple as Parker left late, they needed somebody for this year, not a lot of great options. Going from Miami to Penn State, definitely maybe an upgrade for him. We'll see how he does for a year and go from there. Any chance it was just maybe them getting caught shorthanded and not seeing Parker leaving? I would be hard pressed to think that they saw Parker go in the West Virginia's yeah. to be in the offensive coordinator.
1: Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they did envision that. But to me, that would be a big problem because if we we're the Penn State already did this once where they hired, they you know, yeah, Corley. They and I, they couldn't pass on jaywan cider at that point yeah. in time it's been obviously very clear how important he is to the program how good of a recruiter he is it makes total sense but you know they went this route already once with a guy that no one's ever heard of in david corley and, he, and let's be honest i mean the only reason you know taylor stubblefield's name is because of what he did at purdue does anyone know anything about him as a coach not really so uh, james franklin i guess better be right on this one because i don't know if they can afford another year of Receiver play, it's a little bit inconsistent. Guys that can't get open, guys that drop passes. So, you know, could that be the case, Bob? Yeah, certainly. But to me, I think they need a little bit more. They needed to look for a little bit more
0: than that if that was the end game. Okay. Halfway through this Penn State Blitz, you know what you got to do.
1: That's right. It's time to like, rate, and subscribe to the Penn State Blitz podcast on your favorite audio platform, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find it. You can find us every Thursday. If you subscribe, you'll get it early. So don't forget to do
0: that. And if you're watching the Blitz on YouTube, it's YouTube.com slash AllPennState. Okay, let's move on to some former Lions who are in some postseason games trying to improve their stock for the 2020 NFL draft. Before, though, a little bit of a curveball for you, Greg. Before we get Mm -hmm. to Cam Brown and Robert Windsor. How about Dan Chisena? Yeah. Turning some heads in, is it that NFL PA? It's I think one that's of those one lower level in, yes. games. No, it was. I apologize was if else. that's not the name of it, but he was, the, I think he was the most outstanding player, or if not the most outstanding player, one of the standouts. Yep. Um, impressed some people because he can do some things. He's got speed, he's yeah. got size as a wideout. He's obviously could be a very effective special teams player. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the route where Troy Apke kind of made a name for himself yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. And then he wowed him at the Combine, he, including Deion Sanders. Ended up being a fairly high pick of the, of the Redskins. Yeah. Before we get to Cam and Robert Windsor, is there any chance Dan Senna is really kind of making a push for maybe either a Combine invite or possibly a late spot in the NFL draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is. In, I, I, first of all, I think there's probably too many. Pre NFL draft All-Star game. We gotta look up the name of this. I just game. want to say it's a Spiral Bowl or something like that. Yeah, I've never heard of it, but clearly he impressed. He had a couple long catches. Um yeah. you know, the speed's never been an issue. He beat guys at Penn State, but you know, how many times did it go right through his hands and off his face mask? At least once or twice that I can think of. Yeah. He didn't receive that many opportunities to run down the field and beat guys. So um, but you know, NFL teams are always gonna be wild by speed and guys that can run themselves open. So if he's doing that at these, uh, you know, in an all-star game, he's going to have a chance to impress somebody in a training camp at the bare minimum. So, yeah, we'll see. I saw Jan
0: Johnson's going to the Hula Bowl, so
1: never heard of that either, but he'll play Well, the
0: Hula Bowl used to be, from way back, it used to be a great game. I think they brought it back, but at a much lower level. Right. So,
1: I mean... At this point, I guess John Reed played in the NFLPA bowl over the the, weekend. That's
0: the Penn Stater in the NFLPA game. Yeah.
1: Don't know how he did, but he played in it. And then, yeah, you have the Senior Bowl this week where Cam Brown and Robert Windsor get the chance to perform in front of NFL scouts. I think Windsor is what he is in terms of he just has to showcase some of the strengths that Mm that he played with at Penn State. For Cam Brown, though, Bob, I think NFL teams are probably wondering where exactly am I going to play this guy if I draft
0: him. Have to think a little bit about next year at this time with we've already talked about five guys that made their decision to come back. So that's five right there that are probably going to be in the mix for some all-star games. And there's probably some guys that that weren't eligible this year that are probably going to think about Mm -hmm. leaving. It could be a real interesting, uh, I think, 2021 draft, including Mr. Micah Parsons, but also some other players. A running back by the name of Journey Brown. It could be a really, really busy postseason, don't you think, Greg, for Penn State, given the amount of players they could have drafted in 2021?
1: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, to start to ride them off, the the, the guys that returned, obviously, we would expect all of them to leave. Some of them will have to. Some of them, like Pat Fryermuth, will have a choice to make. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have them. You obviously have, uh, you know, Journey Brown, as you said. Noah Kane will be able to make a decision at that point, as will, uh, you know, Ricky Slade and Devin Ford. Uh, then you'll have, uh, you know, Jahan Dotson will be able to make a decision yeah. at that point. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But, you know, it. yeah, it's going to be impressive to see just how many of these guys end up right. at, in these conversations at this time next year.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about both guards. I guess Rashid Walker, too, you could throw into that conversation. Yeah, both guards, uh, Mike Miranda, C.J. Thorpe, P.J. Mustafer even, mm-hmm. Shelton maybe. Just a point of clarification: Noah Kane will be a true sophomore next year, as will Devon. Oh yeah, that's right. So I, I'm not not throwing you under the bus. No, I, I, no, no, I, did, it's I just good, didn't yeah. want somebody coming after you on social media to say, "pickle, get it together." Well, when
1: you like, rate, and subscribe, you can also <laughs> leave a comment. So we we'll take all forms yeah. of feedback.
0: My point was, it should yes. be it's going to be Correct. even busier at this time next year, and who knows, you know how Micah Parsons' 2020 season is going to play out. Yep. But if he can develop, stay out of trouble. I'm just gonna say that generally, stay out of trouble. He's gonna be the apple of a lot of teams' eyes, mm-hmm. I think, with with the draft and maybe some workouts and the combine. Him and the combine could be pretty, pretty interesting. So let's move on to the mailbag. We we didn't really talk about Cam Brown, but we've talked enough about Cam Brown. He's a big guy that they don't we don't really know what his best position is. Yep. Oddly shaped 6'5, 230. I'm not sure how that plays out on the NFL level. Mm-hmm. But very much an athlete, a special teams player. And I'm sure they're going to be looking at him hard at the senior bowl. But let's get to the mailbag, Greg.
1: If you could have spent the first 60 hours of the year at a red light, and then never had to sit at
0: the red light again, would you have done it?
1: So our buddy Chris Hopkins came up with this this morning. I'm not sure where
0: it came <laughs> oh, from. Oh, now I got you. I thought it was, you were referring to something in my past. No. It's just a standard question. Yes. Yeah. S- the f- just the first 60 hours. Right. So okay. according to some. The first two and a half
1: days. Right. According to some website somewhere, the and average Then you person, never have to sit yeah, at the red light. Yeah. We don't, I'm not really sure how that would work, but we, just assume it would.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, January 1st is a big bowl game day. Mm-hmm usually there's a little reverie involved so i don't know that i would have held up very well okay just sitting at a red light but in in a vacuum if there was nothing else going on and i just had to punch the clock yep i think i probably would have done it cuz right. it, it is a little ma- just to stay out of traffic in general yes I, I would sit in a traffic jam i think for 60 hours so according if to tripway i the trip never away, had you'd to have, sit in a traffic jam for the rest of the year according to tripway you'd have to do that for 11 days
1: cuz that's about the uh amount of hours that people spend in traffic a year so Ugh. It's the worst. Amount of hours, yeah. I'm just thinking about Penn State games, man. Yeah. Well, we've, yeah, that's true. We've, we've gotten, gotten we stuck. To, you spend almost a whole day just sitting on Atherton to get yeah. into the, the Westlots.
0: Do you remember how close we came to hitting that deer in the dark on the back way home? I do. That was another problem, It yeah. was some great driving by me because yeah. I knew, and he just loped there. Yep. He was in no rush. looked right at me. He was about 7,000 pounds, and there was a car behind us. That would have been it. No cell phone reception. Nope. They, they would just be discovering our bodies right now. That's right. Yeah. All we right, would have so just thought out. All right. Kudos to, to me for that. Anyway, yes. Great mailbag question. Back, I told
1: you you couldn't throw me. That's right. Back to the Penn State uh, side of things. some point, they will introduce officially Phil Trout, a new offensive line coach. Yep. Taylor Stubfield, the new receivers coach. And of course, Kirk Shiraka, the new offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. Which one do you want to ask a question to first? And what would that question
0: be? I think the OC, just his vision. Of of uh, the RPO, what he thought set it apart from a lot of RPOs when he was at Minnesota. With he did have some good talent. Those yeah, those two receivers can play, but the way that it was just kind of choreographed, synced up, he made a really good quarterback out of Tanner Morgan. Yeah, what in his mind is the is are the first two real big secrets to running a successful RPO? Because the RPO that the Penn State defense saw in that game, I didn't. I thought it was ma- the a better version of even the Ohio State one cuz the Ohio State one was essentially Justin Fields you right. know making plays with his feet mm-hmm. when the play wasn't there but Tanner Morgan and that Minnesota RPO he didn't really run the ball that was just that good so it, for me it's him I think the offensive line coach is a little interesting, uh, too. Yeah, And if I do get a chance to talk to Taylor Stubblefield, I'll ask him about the Miami belt buckle.
1: Good idea. Good thinking. Yeah, my first question, I think, would be to Troutwine, the offensive line coach. And I would just be curious to know, kind of in the same vein that you just discussed, how does what he teaches the offensive lineman mesh with what Kirk Scirocco wants the entire offense to do? Because we've seen it. If you can't block it, and if the offensive line is not in you know, in sync with the rest of the offense and with the quarterback, you can have guys open all you want, but it doesn't mean the quarterback's going to have time to find them. And a big part of Kirk Scirocco's offense is receivers being efficient, getting open, catching the ball, and then running through space. And sometimes that takes time to open up. We saw Minnesota, a lot of the times, was able to block for Tanner Morgan just long enough for him to make a quick read and get it off. What does Phil Troutwine teach that made him the right – guy to pair with Kirk Chirac, that's what I'd be curious to know.
0: My question for you is twofold. James Franklin always talks about, especially on the offensive side, getting the scheme to fit the talent. Yeah. it's a, He says it every year, but they never really say that on the defensive side, so my question to you, Greg, is if that's really what you're trying to do on both sides of the ball, would you consider, with who they have at linebacker, mm-hmm. going to a 3-4? Because you have Lance Dixon, yeah. Brandon Smith, Micah Parsons, and... Ellis Brooks, who right. I think could be a pretty good linebacker inside. Is that some variation, some concoction to try and get all those guys on the field at the same time? Would you do it?
1: Yeah, Lou I think, could be in that conversation, yes, correct. too. Sorry, Jesse. I would absolutely consider it at times. I mean, I think against some Big Ten teams, it would make more sense than others. And I know that it gets a little messy when you're trying to go 4-3 and nickel one game and then yeah. 3-4. But, you know, at some point... To throw, and we've seen them at times put just three guys down the line of scrimmage, and not often, but they have done it. But to me, yeah, anything you can do to get that many, all those good linebackers on the field is possible. Yep, and give your even if you're gonna, you know, I think it could help your secondary out with the pass rush. It would give you more speed on the field at the middle of the field. Yeah, I don't, I I don't think Brent Pry could go this whole offseason. Not at least tinker with that idea a little bit. And I think too with the back end, they have to figure out. And diagnose why, what's happening that a lot of times, at least in 2019, guys were late to show up for help from the safety position, and the corners just never turned around more often than not to find the ball and play it. You know, that's two things that they really have to take a deep dive on and see what happened there. The bend but don't break philosophy is great when it works. But if you break too many
0: times, you're not going to be able to stay in it with the best teams. I think you and I should start banging a drum for the Penn State 3-4 right now. Get it, get it out in front of everyone else. Let's do it. And just see see how it plays out. They're not particularly blessed at defensive tackle. Yeah. They don't have a defensive end like Etor Gross-Mattis who can kick inside on some plays and play inside. I don't think is that guy. Mm-hmm. Shock is not that guy. I right. don't think Adisa Isaac's that guy. Just saying, Not a bad idea, Bob. Strength is the linebacker group. Wouldn't you try and Mike is essentially, he can do whatever he wants. Like, right. He's big enough to play defensive. I just think, I think it's a no-brainer, but I don't, it's, it's very rare that James Franklin listens to you or I, so. That's right. There's always a first time. The Penn State Blitz Podcast rolls on. I'm Bob Flounders, talking here with Greg Pickle. Greg? Time to talk a little bit about Penn State's big-picture depth chart with a nod to scholarships. James Franklin talked a little bit about he thought a few guys might leave and free open some spots. There's still another signing day coming up in a couple of weeks. In the end, though, they only really lost two prominent guys who declared for the draft. They lost another prominent guy to the transfer portal and Justin Shorter. I don't know if you feel like defensive end Daniel Joseph is a prominent guy. He's in the portal He's as a guy. well. Yeah. But they didn't lose a lot of bodies yet. So yeah. how does this factor into what he can still do on the second signing day and the first week of February? And how does it kinda maybe affect you think the depth chart overall? Obviously it's a boon to the defensive end room to have Shaka back.
1: Yeah, so they're at ninety right now based on our projections, and I just don't see how they can sign anybody else on that second signing day. Now, obviously, James Franklin, Andy Frank, the rest of the, the staff that really is on top of the numbers has more insight than we do as, as it relates to maybe guys who are thinking about transferring but stay stuck around for the spring semester to get the credits and then they'll move on. We'll see. Maybe they want to graduate in the spring and then leave. You know, If you had a list of every Penn State football scholarship player who was graduating in the spring, you might have a good idea of some of the candidates because those guys can play right away. So there could be, there will be guys who graduate in the spring and then enter enter the portal to play one season somewhere else and not have to sit out a year. So they'll get down to 85. I'm sure it'll be easier said than done. But at the same time, if you only got five spots to clear, you know, that's the normal, I think, attrition number is seven Mm -hmm. during a college football offseason. And that's in the portal or medical. That's not even talking about the draft necessarily. So they're already at two. They got five more to go. And it, it always takes care of itself. So time will tell how it all shakes out. But I just don't. With 27 guys already signed, I know back in June, he, or July, I'm sorry, at Big Ten Media Days, he had said, James Franklin said that 30 was the, possibly the number they could sign in the class of 2020. But I just have to think at that point in time, he was thinking Shaka Tony was more likely than not to go to the NFL. Probably thinking Tariq Castro Fields was more likely than not to go to the NFL. Maybe one other guy. So. I think at this point, now that all of the, and you know, same Michael Mennett, Will Fries, maybe one of those two go, I think you could yeah. probably hedge, you could have hedged your bets on that back in July. Obviously, not so much now that we're in January. So you add it all up, and I, I just think that they probably can't add anybody at that signing date unless they know a number of guys who are just staying for the spring semester yeah. and then heading out.
0: It's going to make for an awkward signing day press conference when they announce that they haven't signed anyone. Though. Yeah. Like, isn't that? It'll be, it'll be
1: billed as something else, like the introduction to Penn Stage 3. <laughs> That's exactly what it's going to be. The James Franklin uh, Coaching Recruiting News Conference is what we'll call that Do one. Do
0: you think that secretly he was hoping a couple more players would have left, so this would be a little bit less complicated for him?
1: Maybe, but at the same time, I, I think that there's – you know think about back to this time last year and how much panic there was when all those guys entered a transfer portal yeah. right after the Citrus Bowl and – It seemed like the world was falling down. So there's something to be said, I think, about depth. what you can say about not only depth, but guys coming back and the perception of that from Mm -hmm. outside of the program. So that helps. And it looks better to me, I think, if guys leave after spring practice, because then it's very easy to explain, well, they came out, they didn't get the practice reps they wanted, so they're going to go somewhere else, as opposed to leaving right after the season, where some guys who are contributors jump in that portal, and all of a sudden it makes you wonder what's going on. So... Yeah, I think it may look harder than it is from the outside for them to get down to 85. I don't expect it to be an issue. But let's not forget, too, that he was talking in December about role changes that might make uh, things a little bit more flexible when it comes to that 85 number. Haven't
0: heard of anything yet. We'll have to wait and see. I think the transfer portal will not, obviously not be as crazy as last year. But I do think you're right. Tommy Stevens left after spring. You could see a, a player or two maybe go that route after spring would you agree i would set the over
1: under at four and a half
0: and take the over there you have it super bowl I'll t- i'm under i'm all, i'm a, it's a dead under
1: all right we shall see uh you have probably been uh, correct on every single prediction <laughs> since we started this podcast so maybe i'll get one this time Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.